discover the inherent power of God in you. Whether there are challenges or not, we are still the same. We are constant. God is constant. God does not change. And that is the life that we have received. It says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That is the same life we have also received. We are also the same yesterday, today, and forever. What kind of life? We, we, we are the same because we have the same life with Christ. So when you think about God, think about you. Because everything he is, that is why he told Abraham, he said, I am your, your exceeding great reward. God gave himself as a reward to Abraham. And we are the seed of Abraham. Therefore, we have inherited God himself. Listen to Pastor Oti Boatim as Christ is magnified in you. up your hands on high. Father, we look to you. We have gathered in your name. The scepter shall not depart out of Judah, nor a lawgiver from up between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. And we are most grateful to gather at your feet, blessed Father. Therefore, our hearts are open, and we receive from you. We receive from you. We receive from you. Blessed Holy Spirit, have preeminence over this place. Brood over us. Move upon us. Impact us. Give us light and remnant. The spirit of wisdom and revelation. Let it flood hide all of us. Until you are, we are totally transformed. The glory, unto the glory and the image of God. Thank you Father. We honor you. In Jesus name. The son of God. Amen. 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 Thank God for the life of your father. Pastor T. Hallelujah. Pastor T has a fatherly heart. And he has a friendly heart. He has a heart of a shepherd. So you are blessed to have him. Hallelujah. We thank God for your life and for the obedience of faith. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So, we we'll turn our Bibles to the book of Second Timothy, chapter three. Overcoming the spirit of the age. Overcoming the spirit of the age. That's a subject. The title: Overcoming the spirit of the age. Second Timothy, chapter three, verse one said, "This know also. This know also." That in the last days, perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemous, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truth breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such ten away. Now verse 1 says, This know also, that in the last days, perilous time shall come. Hallelujah. Overcoming the spirit of the age. Now Paul wrote to Timothy, and prophetically, he was telling him, what was going to happen in our day 
and a kind of spirit that will control the world in our day. And I want you to know it because most of the times the spirit that controls the world or a certain age has a way of influencing the church. Has a way of influencing the church. But we are not of the world. He said, this know also. So you have to know. It's something to know. It's something of, with all that knowing, know this also. It's very important. I want you to know this also. That's what Paul is telling Timothy. That in the last days, in the last days, now, the word last days is where we get the Greek word eschatos. I know you've heard the word eschatology before. Yeah, that's where we get the word the word eschatology is from the word eschatos, from the word last days. This note also that in the eschatos, but let me explain what eschatos actually mean. Now in the Greek, eschatos mean it's like this. It's like the last day of the week. The last day of the week. Or the last week in a month. Or the last month in the year. That's what eschatos is. So we are, we are talking about the very last of the last things. What's the last day of the week? Saturday. So we know that after Saturday, you go to the first day of the week. So when Saturday comes, you know that the week has ended. So eschatos describes the very last of the last things. The last day of the week, the last week of the month, the last month of the year. Eschatos. Hallelujah. Now it's also described when a ship is in transit. Now, when a ship is in transit and it's, it's carrying goods, what happens is that the ship stops at different ports in different countries en route its final destination. So, although the ship transits many different ports, when it gets to the last port and it has no other port to go, we call it Eschatos. So, after the last port, that's that the final. There's no other port again. That is the word that describes Eschatos. Or have you ever been to um, I remember I was preaching in China and those who were feeding, feeding me they brought me food from Uganda so I ate then the next day they brought me food from Congo and I ate then ne the next day food from Mauritania because they're different, different places so they realized that I needed food from Ghana <laughs> but the one to bring the food so they managed to get a lady who is a Ghanaian to bring him the food. And when she finally got to where I was, she said she was in the train and she had 24 stops to bring the food. 24 stops. And where she came, where she alighted was the last stop <laughs> before she could bring him the food. Then I told her, please don't come again. <laughs> Don't, the food from Uganda is okay. Don't come again. <laughs> so Eschatos is the last stop. Hallelujah. And that is what he's describing here. 
that the very last of the last end, this, this signs will actually follow. Praise God. And I believe that the signs he mentioned refers to our day. So he said, this know also that in the last days, perilous times shall come. Now what are perilous times? I remember when we were new converts, we used to quote this verse, this verse a lot. But we still didn't know what the word perilous actually meant. <laughs> we knew that, oh, perilous times are come. And we knew, we knew that generally it speaks of something bad. But we didn't know how bad that the word perilous actually implied. Praise the Lord. Now, Matthew 8 verse 28. Let's see Matthew 8 verse 28 and come back to this verse. Now, if you read from the account of Matthew, Matthew said there were two people. But Mark and Luke said it was only one person. And from the account, this guy was so wild. The Bible said he was exceeding fierce. The man was fierce. He was so wild that nobody passed through where he was. He was. So people around the vicinity were afraid to pass where he was because he was fierce. And I said the word fierce is the word calipos. Or you can mention it chalipos. And it's the same word for per- perilous. Perilous times shall come. It's the same Greek word that is used for the word exceeding fierce. Telling us that in the last days, the times we are will be, those times will be exceedingly fierce. Characterizing or describing how the last days will be, it will be exceeding fierce. Now this guy, the Bible says they, they will bind him with chains and fetters and he will shake himself and break it away, break the chains away. Remember that when Jesus casted out the spirit from him, he says, we are legion. The name of the demon was legion, for we are many. And those spirits left him and entered into swine, the head of swine, about 2,000. And they entered deep into the sea. Now what 2,000 swine couldn't bear? One man was bearing, bearing the torture and the pain. So that when those spirits left the man and entered into the swine, they couldn't bear it. They had to rush down and commit suicide. <laughs> so you could just imagine what the man was bearing. But Matthew tells us that they were actually two guys. And these were exceedingly fierce. And the word is describing the word perilio, the same word in the Greek. Though the English words are different. Describing how the last days are going to be. So the last days are going to be filled with demonic power, demonic influence. Men are going to be fierce. The systems are going to be fierce and wild. Hallelujah. So in the last days, the very last of the last days, 2nd 23, perilous times shall come. That means that the times are going to be exceedingly fierce. And I believe we're in the last days. We cannot, I cannot tell the day or the hour the Lord will come, but I can tell the season in which the Lord will come. Because the Bible says that we will know the season, but we wouldn't know the day or the hour. Because the signs will show. Praise God. Now just look at Luke chapter 21, verse 25. 
and there, there shall be signs. Now, Jesus is speaking about the last days. There shall be signs in the sun, and in the moon, and in the stars, and upon the earth. Distress of nations. Today, the nations are under great distress. With perplexity. There shall be signs in the sun and in the moon. Now, do you know that what we call blood moons, where the moon is totally eclipsed, where the moon is reddish in color, there has been more blood moons in the last decade than any other period in the entire history of man. Can you imagine? So the last decade has recorded, the last decade recorded more blood moons than any other time in history. And the Lord said there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon. With perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. So we are speaking about tsunami. So this is a prophecy concerning tsunamis, then hurricanes, and all that. Then let's continue. 26. Men's hearts filling them for fear. Can you imagine? Men's hearts filling them for fear. So fear can shut the system down. Fear. And in our times, fear has been Satan's greatest weapon. You, do you agree with that? Coronavirus. Men's hearts failing them for fear. And we have seen it, and it's not going to stop. Because it's, it's prophesied, it's going to happen. Men's hearts are going to fail them for fear. Look, and, and looking after those things which are coming on the earth, can you imagine? What is coming? What is coming? What is coming? <laughs> For the powers of heaven shall be shaken. Now, the powers of heaven shall be shaken. Actually, this verse is in two sides. The powers of heaven. Now, the word heaven is the word uranium. Uranus. Where we get the word uranium? Uranium. You see, uranus is heaven here. Where we get the word uranium? So it can be read for the powers, the dynamite. The powers of the uranium shall be shaken. You know how nuclear power is produced? Nuclear power is produced from uranium by the shaking of the uranium. That's how it is produced. So there could be primary interpretation, of course, there could also be secondary interpretation in it. Now, before we come to the last verse, look at verse, verse 15 and see something in verse 15. Verse 11, rather. And great earthquakes shall be in diverse places, and famines, and pestilences, and fearful sights. So, all of these things will come, and fearful sights, and great signs shall be there from heaven. Fearful sight. It's amazing that the word fearful sight, you know what it means in the Greek? It's the same word for monster. Oh, I like the way you responded. <laughs> Hallelujah. Fearful sight. The word for monster. So it's speaking of genetic hybrid. Or monstrous or scientific monstrous development. So we will have strange things falling from heaven. Because the word here, fearful sight, is monster. I've seen some documentaries where some strange appearances 
is said to have fallen down from heaven. Of course, it's not the heaven of God. It's the old satanic manipulations. So, so many things are going to happen, happen on the earth. Hallelujah. Now, let's go to, back to our verse uh, 27, 28. Let's go back. Now, look at what the Bible says. Now, this is what the Bible is saying to you, the believer. And when these things begin to come to pass, now they have begun to come to pass. When they begin to come to pass, then look up. Now, the Bible is not saying look around. He said what? Look up. And lift up your heads. For your redemption, draw it now. The Bible is saying that when you see all these things manifesting, don't look around and go like, hey, what's happening? What's happening? What's happening? The Bible didn't say look around. The Bible says look up. Let me tell you something. In Noah's Ark, have you read about Noah's Ark? Now, if you read carefully, there's something about Noah's Ark. There are no windows around the ark. It's amazing how God made it. There are no windows around. There's the ark, but no windows around. But yet, the ark had window. Yet, the windows were was not around the sides of the ark. The window was at the roof. You know why? God didn't want his people to look around, looking at the judgment that was coming to the world. He wanted his people to look up. Because our redemption is from above. So when you hear all these things happening, distress of nations, this is happening, all this is happening, the posture of the believer is to look up for your redemption. We know our redemption is, is now. And give not the Holy Spirit of God whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. There is a day called the day of redemption. The Bible speaks of the Holy Ghost, that the Holy Ghost is the pledge of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. The Bible speaks of the redemption of our bodies. Hallelujah. When we see all these things coming to pass, the Bible says, look up. Why? Because the last page of the purchase of salvation is about to be delivered to us. When you see all these things happening, the Bible says, look up. Why? Because the last package of our salvation is about to be delivered. Paul said, Behold, I show you a mystery which are not all sleep, but which shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and the mortal shall put on immortality, and the corruption shall put on incorruption. So then, when the mortal shall have put on immortality, and when the corruption shall have put on incorruption, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is thy stinge? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? Brethren, our hope is beyond the sky. Hallelujah. We are of the world, yet not of the world. We look up because he is coming for us. When all these things are happening, he says, look up. So, brethren, don't be moved. Let not your heart be troubled with fear. Just look up. These signs means that he's near. Hallelujah. He's near. He's just near. Yeah. Are you the believer? You the believer? Apostle Paul said, Now thanks be unto God, which always maketh us to triumph in Christ. And make it manifest 
the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. Second um, Timothy 2.14. Second Corinthians 2.14. Thanks be to God. Now he said, thanks be. He always makes us to triumph. Are you triumphing as a believer? Now there's a difference between victory and triumphing in victory. Now, when you were in secondary school, did you ever go to intercolleges, athletic competition? When your school met another school for a football competition. Now, the day your school won, now you, you, were, you were not part. You were just at the grandstand watching and cheering them up. Is that not so? They, did, they won the victory. And when they won the victory and they took the cup, you were at the grandstand triumphing in victory. You see, so they had the victory, but you triumphed in the victory. Christ has done the work, Christ has finished the work, He has preached the victory for us, but we triumph in His victory. The Bible says, Always He makes us triumph, always means every time, every place. You don't have to be sad, you don't have to be sad. One of the things that will characterize the last age in Isaiah 60, the Bible says that arise, shine, for the light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee and his glory shall be seen in thee. Now the word darkness in Isaiah 60 is also the word for depression. Do you remember in Egypt when darkness came up? Moses brought judgment. God sent judgment and the darkness was dense darkness. Darkness that can be felt. You sat in your place. No lantern could penetrate that kind of darkness. It's the same word for this kind of darkness in Isaiah 60. Depression. Many are going to be depressed. So one of the signs of the last days is that many are not going to be happy. Depression, semi-depression. But you are the believer. For information, the highest suicide rate is committed among comedians. Comedians. Now they are making everybody laugh. But they themselves, they, can, they cannot make themselves laugh. It will surprise you that according to the worldwide happiness, worldwide happiness index, <laughs> the worldwide happiness index shows which people in the world are the happiest. It is said that the people in the third world countries are the happiest of all. So that means that development does, does not secure your happiness. <laughs> Brethren, true joy is from the Lord. Sometimes the more people have money, the more their problems, problems magnify. <laughs> there are worthy families. If you, go, if you enter the house, there's not a single, there's no, there's no peace at all. But you see a, a simple peasant living with his wife, there's absolute peace. So in the last days, Depression will be like dense darkness. But we are of the Lord. Brethren, we are in the world, but not of the world. We carry our own atmosphere. We are in a new kingdom. We are in the kingdom of Christ. We are in the kingdom of his son. Hallelujah. So we are supposed to carry on with the joy of the Lord. His presence. So the times are going to be exceeding fierce. But tonight, I want to show you how we can overcome the spirit that controls the age. 
Because you see, I've realized that even in every nation on, on, on earth, the culture of the people had a way of influencing the church or the local church so strongly. Sometimes the culture has a way of influencing the people in, in the church. No, years ago, when the church began in Ghana, you preach with kente, with clothes. And if Ramamu was invited to preach and he went in seats, he was dismissed for not wearing African wear. Obviously, cultures have influenced Christianity. But much more, the spirit that controls a certain age has a way of infiltrating to the church. Now, the Corinthian church, how many of you have read the book of Corinthians? Now, they had some problems in the church. You know the problems in the church? Read First Corinthians chapter 16. Sorry, chapter 6. You read from 15 to the end. The problem they had in the church was sexual immorality. Now, it was a problem in the church. Do you know why? The spirit of that age had crept into the church. Now, Corinth was a city that was destroyed in 146 BC. It was destroyed because the Corinthians rebelled against the Roman Empire, so it was totally destroyed. But in the days of Julius Caesar, in, Julius Caesar raised up the city again for a reason. So the city of Corinth was now, it was just rubble, but Julius Caesar, in, in his era, he raised up the city in 44 BC. But four years before Christ, he raised up the city of Corinth for a purpose. Hmm. Now, Julius Caesar believed that he was a descendant from the goddess Aphrodite. Now, Aphrodite was the goddess of sex, prostitution, and street workers. Now, the the city of Corinth was built in honor of Aphrodite, for the worship of Aphrodite. So when it was raised up again, the reason Caesar raised up the city was for a reason, was to honor Aphrodite, because he believed he was a descendant of Aphrodite. So the whole city was raised by purpose, to promote sex industry. Corinth was built to promote sex, the sex industry. You know why it was built? It was built and it became a place for sex vacation. Yeah. <laughs> Sex vacation. So what happened was that there was a port in the east and a port in the west. The port in the east allowed those coming from Asia, ships carried men from Asia to Corinth for sex vacation. And ships carried men from the western port, from Rome to Corinth for sex vacation. That is why the city was built. So the, the entire city was totally corrupt. And Paul entered there with the gospel. <laughs> so one day he was speaking to them and he mentioned, he said, And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, and ye are justified <laughs> by the Spirit of God. So, but the problem was this because of the Spirit and what was prevailing in Corinth. Now, so Julius Caesar built temples for Aphrodite. Temples. So you go in to just have sex in honor of the god Aphrodite. 
Now, it was said that when it comes to current, you do in current what you cannot do in your home. You do in current what you cannot do in your home. So temples were raised up. So some of the church folks were sneaking into those temples. <laughs> so Paul now wrote and said, Know ye not that your body is the temple of God. <laughs> then he said, He that is joined to an halot is one. So he was addressed because that was what was prevailing in Corinth. So, what was happening in the city prevailed, influenced the church, and it always happens. And Corinth was a place of great competition. Because just, just close to Corinth was a, they built a stadium for what is called the Pan-Hellenic Pan Games. That happens every two years. The whole world went, went there. And if we're in Corinth, it, it was co competition. They, comp they were competing for everything, and that came into the church. And Paul said, for whereas there are among you enviness, strife, and division. Are ye not yet carnal and work as men? So there was competition in the church. Why? Because it had come from the world. But we should never be tainted, touched, or stained by the world. We should. Have you seen darkness influencing light before? It's light that influences darkness and not vice versa. So, back to 2 Timothy 3, now Apostle, Apostle Paul now tells us, 18, gives us 18 moral blemishes that will be conspicuous in the last days. 18, but we are not going to talk about it. The time will fail us to touch on all, we touch on one, few, few of them, then we'll go home. Another time, we can explore the rest. Hallelujah. So let's see what will happen in our day so that you can overcome the spirit of the age. Other than that, the church of God will be influenced by what is happening in the world. So let's see what is happening in our day. Verse 2. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. So this is the first sign he gave. Men shall be lovers of their own selves. Wow. Let me explain. The word lovers of their own selves is the word Philotos. Philotos. Now, Philotos means that men are going to be self-focused, self-absorbed, self-consumed, self-centered. It's everything is self. Self-focused, everything is me. Self-absorbed, self-consumed, self-centered. Now, lovers of their own selves, Philotos. P-H-I-L-A-U-T-O-S. Now, it means that someone who has romantic feelings for himself. It is a word for, <laughs> it's a word for self-fondness, self-attraction. Someone who is attracted to himself. Can you imagine? Now, it describes someone who wants to even kiss himself. Yeah, that, that's the Greek. He wants to kiss himself. Now, what will happen in the last days is that men are going to focus on their own lives so much that 
They have no loyalty to anyone. They have no, no loyalty to God, no loyalty to their families, no loyalty to their nation, no loyalty to their friends. They are just loyal to themselves. <laughs> they just like themselves. What makes them happy is okay. It is what they want, not what you want. And this is the cause of divorces. This is the cause of many problems in the society today. Not what you want, but what I want. So man is going to be totally selfish. It's not about man. It's about me. It's about me. It's about me. And it is happening. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I don't care about anyone. It's just me. What I want, what I think, what I feel, that's me. That's me. It's what I want. It's what I feel. I'm a man and I want to be a woman. That's me. It's not your problem. What I, I do with my body is it's me. It's private to me. <laughs> but you see, in Christianity, we are not giving... The instant you give your life to Christ, you are giving a dependent life. You know a dependent life? <laughs> the moment you come to Christ, you are brought into the body of Christ. You are a member of his body. Listen, the ear cannot survive alone. The mouth cannot survive alone. You are given a dependent life. We depend on ourselves. The mouth must eat, but it takes a hand to put food to the mouth. We are the body of Christ and members in particular. We all lean on each other. And we all care for each other. Now, yesterday I was telling the church. You see, when the church was born, there was such oneness. Oneness. So much that the Bible says they had one heart and one soul. Everyone, there was care in the church. Everyone was caring for each other. But now, after a while, it was no more. Have you ever read that when the church was born, the Bible says that the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul. And neither said any of them of the things which they possessed was their own. For they had all things common. Acts 4.32. So what happens is that what is mine was yours when the church was born. So there was care. But after a while, now you go to church, someone is not smiling. I don't care. That's he and God. But, but I don't care. <laughs> I said yesterday, you see someone with the same dress for three months. Every the same dress. But you change your dress every day. So much that you don't even know where to pack your luggage, your staffs. You're still looking for more. You have overgrown or outgrown your wardrobe. But there's this sister who's always wearing the same thing, same dress, and you always see the person. In the early church, you approach the sister. What you have is shared with the person. That's how it was. You sit by someone who cannot even afford what to eat, but you have enough to spare and to waste. So actually, why did, what happened to the church? It was influenced from the world, obviously. Of the concept of the word, but we are called to be each other's keeper. Now, listen to the message I preached yesterday. God can hold you responsible for what is happening to your brother in the church. 
Because we are the body. For instance, if my back is itching me, which part of the body is responsible for scratching the, itch, the itchiness away? What about if the hand decides not to scratch and the hand now begins to complain? This back part. <laughs> so you may be responsible for why your pastor is not on fire for the past three weeks because you have not been praying for him <laughs> may we never be self-focused it's not all about us is that Christianity? This is the fruit of the fall. When man fell, self came in. Charles Spurgeon says that self is a substance out of which hell was made. He says self is the womb out of which 70 times 7 sons are born. Once once you are self-focused, everything is possible. Because all sons begins from self. But can you set your interest aside and seek for the interest of others? That is Christianity. The Bible says we should not seek our own interest, but the interest of others. In honor, prefer one another. That is what even Christ didn't please his own self. True Christianity is allowing yourself to be discomforted in a way for your brother to be comforted. That is strong love. Strong love. Let someone in the church smile. Hallelujah. Approach, if someone is not smiling in the church, then let, approach the person and say, oh, is everything all right? Let bodily love continue amongst us. Hallelujah. So please, this, men are going to be selfish everywhere. You see on the streets, when you are driving, can't you see selfishness on the street? <laughs> selfishness is on the streets when you are driving. Sometimes, you are even telling the person, oh, please let me pass because of the situation. The person will just turn the eye. It shouldn't surprise you. That's man's natural nature. But it's going to intensify. Hallelujah. The second one. Second Timothy 3. Verse 2. So we have men shall be lovers of their own selves. Covetous. And the second one is covetous. 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 Now, the word covetous here is the word philagoros. Is the word lovers of money. So I'm sure when you get other versions, it will say lovers of money. So the first is lovers of their own self. The second is lovers of money. Do you remember that Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6 verse 10 that for the love of money is the root of all evil which some while coveted after have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. For the love of money, the word love of money is philagoros. It's the same word philagoros here for the word covetous. It's the same word in the Greek. So it is Men who love money. Now, it's the same word from the first one. Men who have a romantic feelings for money. That's what it means. (laughs) 
Men will be fond of money. Money. What it means is that men will kiss money. <laughs> men will kiss money. <laughs> It's happening. So it's a word for money hungry. They're going to be money hungry. Now in ancient Greece, this word is used for someone who has a lot of money, but who only spends on himself, spend on himself, spend on himself, and has no, has no desire to spend on others. So it's having money, spend on yourself, 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 and at best, you spend just a little on others. Just a little. But everything is yourself, yourself, yourself. It's going to happen. It's happening. People are hoarding money for themselves. Now, you cannot serve God and mammon. Now, mammon is not just money. Mammon is the spirit that controls money. Many believers are influenced by mammon. mammon. You know the proof of being under the influence of mammon? Now, you have money hoarding in your account. But someone is in need. The Holy Ghost is telling you to release the money. You've closed your eyes. He said, this one must be an evil ghost. Listen, if money controls you, you're already under the influence of mammon. Money should not have power over you at all. No, money, you use money, money shouldn't use you. If money uses you, then you're under the influence of mammon. You know, you know why the money was, money was brought and put under the apostles' feet? Why? Because he had dominion over mammon. You know what? How to have dominion over mammon? You take the money. Anytime God demands it, you give it. What is money? You are not serving money. I'm serving God. Money can't control my life. To hold money down and to have your security in what is hot, you've hoarded is to have false security. False foundation. They are sinking sounds. Our trust is in the Lord. Not in what, what, not in what you have saved though. It's in the Lord. I'm not saying don't save. But that shouldn't be your security. It must be in the Lord. And it's happening in the world. People are killing for money. We cannot overemphasize <laughs> what is happening concerning money. People are doing all, all sorts of things for money. This is coming to pass. People are kissing money. Money hungry. <laughs> and we believers who are from the heavenly country, listen, our citizenship is in heaven. From whence we look for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile bodies that it might be fashioned as unto his glorious body. We, we are a, a peculiar people. Why should we allow money to influence you? Not at all. When your brother is in need, give. Give to the poor. Give to God. One day, Jesus was in the church, the temple, and people were giving. And the working men were casting in their abundance. And Jesus called his disciples. And Jesus was watching him to the treasury. He called his disciples and said, Look, look, all these 
They have given out of the abundance. But look at this woman. She has cast into mind. She has given all her living. You know what it means? They have given out of the abundance. Now, when you read from King James, what does it really mean? The word means they gave their left over. Now, what, this is what it means. They had so much money. But after they have paid the light bill, they have paid the water bill, they have paid the school fees, they have paid the rent, they have paid money for vacation, they have used everything they want. They've used the money for everything. What is left? Ah, they don't even want. They don't even need. Now, what is left? The residue or the remnant. If someone even steals it, it doesn't even affect them. What is left? Ah, it doesn't affect them. It's what they took to put in the treasury. <laughs> That's what Jesus was talking about. That means that when you when you are given to God, you must give to God that which cost you. <laughs> are you here with me? Praise God. Or haven't you seen Psalm 96 verse 8? Give unto the Lord the glory that is due his name. How? Bring an offering and come to his court. Now, God says, none shall appear before me empty. Now, when you come to church, the Bible says, Bring to God his glory. <laughs> the glory he deserves. Bring to God his glory. Now your offering is actually his glory. To honor him. Have you seen it? Oh. Now look at my offering. I didn't even plan that my offering should be here. My God. So we, we plan. You, you put it in a night. You honor the Lord. Praise God. You, you don't take your money and squeeze it like that. And just cast it away. Is that what God deserves? Is that what God deserves? It's worship. So bringing to the Lord is bringing Him His glory. Hallelujah. Come. We don't have love of money in our heart. Whatever God demands, we give for His work. We give for missions. We give for the poor. That's our calling. Do you know that every giving you give in church is recorded in heaven? Now, if you go home, take time and read Numbers chapter 7. Now, in Numbers chapter 7, you know what happened? <laughs> there were 12 princes representing every tribe of Israel, and they brought an offering to the Lord. And the offerings were a lot, about different, different items. You can count 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. And all the 12 princes representing the tribes, they all brought the same thing. Now, assuming 12 people here brought the same thing. If I'm writing, how should I write? How should I write? Concerning what they gave. Now they brought 12 items each. And to the same items. What do you write? You just write that, oh, 12 people mentioned their names. So they brought these items. That's all. Is that not so? The Bible didn't do that. Now the Bible mentioned the first one. It said, Nashon. I mentioned everything he brought. They mentioned the second one. They mentioned everything he brought. No, it's the same thing. Then come to the third person. They mentioned everything he brought till the 12. So everything is repeated verbatim. So why is God wasting space? But we know that there are no insignificant details in the Bible. And God is so economical in writing the Bible that he doesn't waste a single letter. So why will God write what everybody brought? Because that is how the chronicle, the record in heaven is. What you bring is written in your name. Every given you have given for him, you will see it. 
in heaven, you will go around and we'll see, wow. So this is what I gave, wow. <laughs> but you see, you shouldn't worry. There are some people that give one city and the angels are rejoicing. Listen, there are some people that give one city and the angels are rejoicing. There are those, they give 50 cities and the angels are frowning. Because the angels know you can do more. But the one who gave one city, they are rejoicing because he has given his best. <laughs> Hallelujah. It's not important. You know what Jesus said concerning money? He says that he that is faithful in that which is least is faithful in much. Luke 16.10, Jesus calls money that which is least. Jesus calls money that which is least. So if you cannot handle money, how can you commit ministry into your hands? So money is that which is least. It shouldn't be your trouble. Giving it up shouldn't be your trouble. In from verse 11, it says that, oh, if therefore you have not been faithful in the mammon of unrighteousness, who will commit unto you the true riches? <laughs> that means if you don't handle money well, you can't even, God cannot commit ministry into your hands. He cannot commit authority into your hands. He cannot commit wisdom, anointing. These are true riches. Authority, wisdom, anointing, ministry, true riches. Ah, because you're not even managing your finances well. But we have overcome. Listen, we, we don't live by money. We live by Jesus. We have overcome. We are free. You are not free when you can't part with your money. <laughs> Someone is in need. Just give. Sometimes it's a test from the Lord. So he can commit authority into your hands. Do you know that giving is one of the things that establishes your righteousness? Have you ever read 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 9? He has dispersed abroad. He has given to the poor. His righteousness remaineth forever. He gave to the poor. He dispersed abroad. His righteousness remaineth forever. This is quoted from Psalm 102, verse 9. It's an establishment of righteousness. Your giving is a it establishes the proof of your right standing with God. <laughs> he says, he has given, but his righteousness remained forever. Can you imagine? And I love what the Bible said in some, uh, Isaiah 54, in righteousness shall thou be established, and thou shalt be far from fear, and from terror, and from oppression, and shall not come nigh thee. All your children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children. And no weapon formed against you shall be able to prosper. And every tongue that shall... All of this, given is a proof of your love for God. And it is establishment of your righteousness. The proof of your right standing with God. Hallelujah. So in the last days, there will be many mices. But God gives, so we give. Give to your brother sitting by your side. Give to your family. Give to your parent. Give, 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 give until you rule over money. Hallelujah. Are you here? The next one, boosters. Boosters. Now the word boosters, the meaning is not like boosters. <laughs> the word is alazon. A-L-A-Z-O-N. Alazon. That's a Greek. Alazon. A-L-A-Z-O-N. 
is one who is willing to overstate the fact. One who is willing to overstate the fact. Embellish the truth. Not stretch the truth or embellish a story. One who is willing to overstate the fact. Stretch the truth or embellish a story. That is what today we call situational ethics. Situational ethics. We call it today situational ethics. You know what it means? It is doing whatever it takes. Doing or saying whatever it takes to promote your agenda. Even if, even if it clashes with your conscience and convictions. Let me say it again. Doing whatever it takes to promote your agenda. Even if it clashes your conscience or your convictions. What it means is that you lie a little, you, you lie a little or you embellish a story, or, or you stretch the truth a little, or you overstate the fact for your own benefit. For instance, so you, you disregard your conscience or your convictions. People, people will, situational ethics, situational ethics. So what it means is that a distant, a distant cousin of, me, of mine called me and told me that, since she finished school, the university, she's applied to many places for job. And all the places they call her, they call her, they tell her she's gotten a job. But when she gets there, they are all willing for her to make a compromise before she gets a job. So in about five places, all the bosses want to sleep with her so she can accept the job. And a lot of our sisters face, face that public, true or false. So, so just do something small. Just for you to get a job, let me just just compromise a little. Just compromise a little, then we'll get you the job. Stretching the truth. And sometimes before you are taking in a certain job, you have to be ready to be telling certain, certain, certain little, little lies. Either with a pen, uh -huh, adding some zeros and changing some figures. And you, the believer, if you find yourself in such a place, deny it and walk away. And you see the hand of God. Don't say, oh, but I finished school, my mother took care of me, and this is the only opportunity God has opened. To, who told you God opened that door for you? The devil can also open doors. <laughs> it's not from God. Uh -huh. So you are willing. To, they make you offers, great offers that if you compromise, if you're able to. <laughs> Prophet Adam was telling me when he was working in one of the ministries. Yeah, one of the bosses called him and said, "Oh, I want you to sign this contract. I mean, we are making it up, and if you finish, you are going to get this money." He stood and said, "Say, I'm sorry, I can't do it." After that time, hey, pastor. They started calling him pastor. <laughs> I went to his office and a Muslim approached me and said, this your man, is a, he's a true man of God. So they are watching. The same person who brought the compromise is now saying he's a true man of God. You could have hindered his conversion. So let's be absolute with the truth. Moral absolute. 
And this thing is in the world. We should watch it because it comes to the church. Do you know that there are many churches here? When they are voting for leaders, who should be the presiding bishop, who should be this leader, so much, there's so much compromise within, even the church of God. It will shock you, there are bribes. <laughs> the church of the people pay bribes to become the head, either in cash or in some way, or persuading them with their words. That means the will of God is totally set aside. It's not God who's even appointing you there. It has become totally secular. It has come to the church. You know you can lure your leader or your pastor or you can embellish a story or stretch the truth just for, for you to get favor in the eyes of pastor. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. It's the same spirit. Or somebody has done something instead of giving the person the honor to try to get a little as if it's both of you. But <laughs> so you are concocting things to be in the good books of your pastor so your pastor can give you honor or can place you in a certain position in the church. It's the same thing. You are here, you are a booster. Lift up not your horn on high, and speak not with stiff necks. For promotion cometh not from the west, nor from the south, nor from the east. Brethren, promotion is from the north. God sit at the recesses of the north. <laughs> the city of the great king is from God. You, 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 don't, you don't impress. You don't do eye service. You don't do eye service because you want to be a pastor. You don't do eye service because you want pastors to see you that you are doing well. People do that. They are just standing there. When they see Pastor Kamala, they take a broom. Hey! <laughs> and Pastor Kamala said, Hey, you are so hardworking. <sighs> Pastor is true. We've been here the whole day. <laughs> yeah. So it's the same thing. Hallelujah. God bless you for listening. We pray that the Word of God will be rooted and grounded in your heart as you give attention to the Word. Kindly follow Pastor T and Love Economy Church on all social networks for more of God's Word. Don't forget to subscribe to the Pastor T Podcast. Simply search for Pastor T on any podcast app, plug in, and enjoy God's Word. Visit our website at loveeconomychurch.org for more information. God bless you.